Welcome back to Mark's Madness. What? We're doing it again. We're doing it again. Governor Walker of Florida said in his inaugural speech, each one of us know that we could not give either an honest or conscientious assent to Negro suffrage. There is not one of us who would not feel that he was doing wrong and bartering his self-respect, his conscience, and his duty to his country and to the union itself. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, for the benefits he might hope he obtained by getting back into the union. Ooh. Much Ooh. as I worship the union and much as i would rejoice to see my state once more recognized as a member thereof yet it is better a thousand times better that he should remain out of the union even as one of her subjected provinces than go back eviscerated of her manhood despoiled of her honor resecrant of her duty without her self-respect she got fucked ladies and gentlemen because uh, governor walker said she got fucked by uh by america I, i'm by america i'm going to assume he loves nothing more than america but if black so people vote, he can't take that that's not america but if he could do anything 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 that was not letting black people vote. He loves America. Oh, he would be so. He wants again. to hang that Confederate flag and that American flag side by side. Mm. And you're well, actually, those are contradictory. He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't think they're contradictory. Are you kidding me? Judge Underwood. You have to know this is a good upstanding citizen of Virginia reports a candid gentleman of alexandria talking to him in friendly conversation sooner than see the colored people raised to a legal and political equality the southern people would prefer their total annihilation that's probably a terrifyingly honest assessment I had regarded him as well-informed and almost as candid as a man we have among the, capital R, rebels. Grattan, a native of Virginia, said February 10th, 1866, I believe that if the blacks are left to themselves, if all foreign influence were taken away, those damn Russians... The whites would control their votes. (laughs) It is not in. Okay. No, no, no. We're stopping right there. Um, You think? Do you remember? So when it comes back to the, uh, the Russia gate and Russia was influencing us on social media, who, if you, if you really dig deep, who did Rachel Maddow and MSNBC and the House Democrats and everyone else, who were the Russians really targeting? Oh, it was misinformation campaign. It was David. It was black people. Black. It was poor people. Black lives. Black lives yeah. matter. Black lives matter was sowing dissent. They 
it all came again, this same thing. There was disinformation, quote unquote, sowed among the, the less, those who weren't able to pick out the lot. Why does it always seem that, that when you need a scapegoat for my election didn't go the way I want to, meh, it's always the, the poor, uneducated black people citizens that you're you're scapegoating but this is this Back is to 1865 this is age-old colonialism good god we're gonna read one page because of deep content again uh this is age-old nope. colonialism all right nope. you have to you have to bring enlightenment and civilize the the savage masses okay you're so fine. you have to you have to colonize these you have to civilize these masses right and and so of course you know they're they're just drones they don't understand their backwardness well then when you look at these other countries well you know of course north korea will just come behind a dictator they're all brainwashed and china's all brainwashed and stuff like the u.s would never be brainwashed we're not subject to propaganda we would never fall for it we have freedom of speech but china china look how they're controlled look how they're controlled and and then black people they're they're influenced by by russia and 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 that's today and back then it's well black people that freed themselves they just whites would control their vote it's always these these poor unwashed masses and these poor unwashed masses never seem to be white there's always this white brain that should be shared and, and, and inspired and, and given out and enlightened. And if you give a little too much freedom, a little too much, um, what's the word I'm thinking of when you, you control your own opinions and autonomy, autonomy, a little too much autonomy to these colonized people. Uh, their, 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 you know, brutality, their, their lack of, of, civilization will come out right they'll be so easy to manipulate and you just you're doing this because because we care about them we're colonizing them because we want to civilize them and teach them the, the great european ways because we care about them we're we just want to free china and the dprk from their own governments that they fought revolutions to put in power and continue to support because we're just supporting them and we don't want these black people fighting against a racist system because it's just Russia telling them they're bad and they're being manipulated or it's just these black people that just freed themselves from slavery. We don't want them voting because it, the, the white Southerners will just tell them what to do. We're just protecting them. We're protecting them because we care and they don't know better and they need our big white brains to protect them. So to circle back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun <sighs> to circle back on. I know. Sorry. I know. I love it. I love reading, reading this. I believe this is Grattan from Virginia, not, not Nathan from Missouri. Okay. I believe that if the blacks are left to themselves, if all foreign influence were taken away, the whites would control their votes. It is not in that the difficulty lies, but in it is in the repugnance which the white race would feel to that sort of political equality. <sighs> I read that sentence right, guys, and it's, it still feels wrong. It is the same sort of repugnance which a man feels towards a snake. He does not feel any animosity to the snake, but there is a natural shrinking from it. He thought that any attempt to give the Negroes a vote would lead to their emancip- extermination. Man, I read the word emancipation <laughs> too many times in a row and then saw an E word and was like, I got this. And, and then it was the wrong E word. Another, another tale as old as time. Whenever you're concerned 
with all the other people being white supremacists. This is totally not you being white supremacist. You're just you're just concerned with the other people being white supremacists. So coincidentally, black people are snakes or flies or something no, vile God. and below human. No, God. <laughs> this isn't tied into the current events, is it, David? Nope. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Nope. Uh, in all this reported opposition to Negro suffrage, the grounds given were racial and social animosity and never the determination of land and capital to restrict the political power of labor. Yet this last reason was the fundamental one. And so, again, I mean, th- this is really materialist by Du Bois, right? Of course, you know, he's talked and he's talked very plainly about like, OK, they've got the the poor whites behind it. Right. Don't don't come down. These, these restrictions that voters got to be literate or so wealthy. Don't don't get us. This these laws are for the black people. Go get the black people. And, and, and that's how racism is upheld. But the real point of this is not to let labor get too powerful. And so what's the easy way to do this? Well, you've created this system of racism, of of making them the lesser, okay, mm-hmm. of getting the white, poor white people on your side in order to uphold your control and power. And so now you can keep that working class down because you've got them behind you. They're on your side. They're all together. They're, they're panicking. They don't want to be thrown down to black people. And then you can really oppress the already more oppressed formerly enslaved people. And you can keep your control of labor. And, and so, you know, I mean, again, Du Bois, very smart materialist. He's got he sees this for what it is. He's got this stuff down. Yep. While the South was in suspense, the, abol- the abolition democracy was slowly debating and crystallizing opinion. Industry in the North was forging forward with furious intensity. There's way too many F's in one small thing, the boys. <laughs> uh, and this, uh-huh. the, this movement was foremost, god damn it, stop it with the F's, and predominant in the mind and vision of living persons in that day. During the war, business prospered. There were few failures, and the inflated currency increased prices and favored business profits, while on the other hand, it decreased real wages of income of farmers. Wealth became concentrated among the manufacturers – funny how that happens in capitalism – merchants and financiers and the speculators. There was consequently a large accumulation of capital for investment in new business enterprises. Industrial development was hastened. Inventions and technical improvements increased. Plants became larger and more efficient. Steel – and they they don't mean plants like grow in the ground plants. They mean plants like a factory is what Du Bois means. Steel manufacture became the basis of modern industry and developed rapidly because of the demands of war. The metal industry thus expanded and turned to the production of peace goods. The war itself caused far more efficiency and larger plants and consolidation of plants. The freeing of the nation from the strangling hands of oligarchy in the South freed not only the black men, but white men. Not only human spirit, but business enterprise all over the land. <laughs> that's, that's not ominous. Holy shit. Uh, this happened in surprising ways. Quite naturally and logically, under the stress of war, national and local taxes rose and rose and rose yet again, forcing the whole community and nation to pay for the things formerly paid for by individuals. First, necessary money was provided by taxing imports, then to encourage local manufacturers of goods that must be had for war. Thus, by imperceptible transition, the nation was taxed to support manufacturers. The South had forced down the tariff until 1857 there was practically free trade. The northern manufacturers during the war pressed for higher tariff rates. Taxes on importing goods were the easiest method of raising money. 
The Tariff Acts of 1862 to 1864 raised the average rates of taxation to 37.2% and 47%. Since then, the tariff rates have been raised higher and higher so as to foster industrial monopoly. And this is this is interesting yes. too because he talks about tariffs and people always think of tariffs as a way to restrict trade so that like, you know, oh, we're keeping the jobs here locally, but but Du Bois is being very plain. Tariffs are there to foster monopoly. They're they're there to to clamp down on the competition and so as capitalism centralizes there's less sources for it to centralize less less risk out there you know and that's where someone like you know trump could support tariffs and shit like that you know it's why they, they they're doing china bans on products and trying to, to you know wrestle tiktok away and trade wars and all that stuff uh, the industrialist Don't oh sorry take away my tiktok <laughs> the industrialists were not without scientific support henry carey holy cow the american economist oh! Is the moon made of green cheese? <laughs> the American economist published his Principles of Social Science in 1858 to 1859. I'm pretty sure Harry Carey was that old. Um, that, that, that tracks. Yeah. Uh, he attacked free trade and joined the German Litz in a demand for a self-contained national economy. Carey's... Mm. Kerry sought to show the beneficial effects that the proximity of protected industry would have upon agriculture. God damn it, he just switched from F's to P's. This is the same name of the new national spirit, and now ends. God damn it, the voice <laughs> came America for Americans, and as a great. What does that even mean? <laughs> he talked about that before. As a great and self sufficing farming and manufacturing country. We emerged, therefore, from the war with a tremendous industry, over-organized but efficient in many directions through the exigencies and demands of war. Two things beckoned further. First, the discovery and relation of the extraordinary natural resources of America, its iron, coal, and oil. We're, we're leading in fracking, baby. That's me. Mm-hmm. Also, forests are in there, but Brazil took us there. Two things beckoned further. First, the discovery and realization of the extraordinary natural resources, the oil, forests, and, of course, raw materials like wool, sugar, and cotton. Secondly, a unified and wonderful system of transportation. The nation borrowed $3 billion for war. Imagine in 1865. Mm. And paid heavy interest because of the price of gold. The money borrowed by the government had to be spent and spent quickly without deliberation. Okay. Without careful decision. Contractors and managers, therefore, who furnished goods to the government could make legally and illegally fabulous sums. The prosperity with which thus came to them had to be passed on in part to the workers who received higher wages and who, despite the increased cost of living, had money to spend freely. I'm going to I'm going to pause right here. Are we this feels like it's going in a very specific direction. So am I crazy or is the boys and, and the timelines match up? And I guess I never thought of it this way, even though it should be obvious is the voice maybe talking about the civil war giving rise to the robber barons very directly? I feel like he is. Boom times were on. There was plenty of money for investment and plenty of chance for investment. Speculation ran riot. 
the whole moral fabric of the country was changed, not simply by the blood and cruelty, hate and destruction of war, but by the prospects of a golden future. We are told that the Secretary of the Treasury visited York City early in 1864. He found businessmen interested not in the blood of battle, but in the stock market. Workers and foreigners caught the fever and naturally enough held the South to blame for the past. Because they started the war. (laughs) Had not the South held up the distribution of the Western lands since 1845 against the protest of northern farmers and new immigrants against Southern poor whites led by Andrew Johnson and with sympathy on the part of the magnates and hirers of labor of the North. Early in the war, the homestead law was passed and threw open the Western lands to settlers on easy terms. Isn't it amazing how all of the wealth in America is we've been through a whole book about it being tied to slavery and that being difficult to wrestle away. And now it's, Oh yeah, by the way, um, the ethnic cleansing of the total eradication of indigenous people and siphoning of resources from the land. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- we've talked about the causes of America being wealthy, obviously the, the imperialism and the hegemony, but the whole rise happened because first it was a seller colony that was just huge tracts of land, vastly ripe with raw materials. And then you had the slavery um, that came after the, well, I mean, came alongside with the ethnic cleansing that gave it the rise to be the basis of everyone else's capitalism. Then it rose to an equal power of Europeans because of those vast natural resources, plus the slavery, even shortly after the slavery was quote unquote emancipated. Um, And then you have the world wars where Europe is killing each other and America gets in a little bit on the action, gets some war economy going, but doesn't really have to sacrifice much like Europe does. And all of a sudden, now you got hegemony. Whoops. And now we get to just, you know, in this land of all the natural resources, point out and siphon all the natural resources from everywhere else. Just like we talked about earlier, being behind the butt of the gun instead of in front of the barrel. The new farmers and the new immigrant laborers were scarcely aware when this land was given mostly to railroads to help finance them. And then sold to farmers at prices which were more, which were made profitable, farming made profitable farming increasingly difficult. Yeah, I got it. (laughs) The new farmers and the new immigrant laborers were scarcely aware when this land was given mostly to railroads to help finance them, and then sold to farmers at prices which made profitable farming increasingly difficult. They saw agricultural prices rising. They expected them, of course, to continue to rise. Railways in the United States increased from three miles in 1828 to 2,23,476 miles in 1860, 30,283 miles in 1870, and over 50,000 miles in 1880. That is amazing. Railroad. Well, those are. Wild. So, yeah, I mean, 40, 42 years, 42 years, you went from three miles of railroad to 50,000. Oh, by the way, again, talking about different um, 
uh, colonize and oppressed groups um, and looking at, you know, Sinophobia rising now, what group was largely, you know, oppressed and exploited to build the railroads? The Chinese. Chinese immigrants. But in Cha. The railroads have been financed by selling bonds abroad before the war and after the war by large increases in domestic capital invested. Gifts of public land were showered upon the railway builders, amounting to half the farm area opened by the Homestead Act. Half. Great railway systems began to be consolidated. And through them, population drifted to the cities. Consolidation of uh, capital. Where have hmm. I heard that before, David? Hmm, I don't. I don't know. No one would have guessed that phenomenon was coming. That, Nobody. That's odd. Especially. Continue. Especially did industry begin to fear the unrest in the West after the war. The West was uneasy. It became more uneasy on account of the land distribution of the railroads, the high and discriminatory railroad rates the whole money situation, and the taxation. Finance and industry, therefore, after the war, while it looked forward confidently to tremendous industrial development, was wary. It proposed to protect itself. There was going to be no new free trade, no agricultural block, no drives for cheap money, no state intervention in industry. The new national development, protected from foreign competition, must be protected from state intervention. Otherwise, state control of railroads and industries, state taxation and regulation would reduce the United States to a series of small, exclusive industrial territories instead of one vast market. Deregulation, Nathan. Deregulation. Pew, pew, pew. All this thought, thought and development went on the side with little attention to the social or political results of the war. Hmm. Hmm. But soon attention had to be given to these matters. Although industry was now in control of the national government, hmm, the Republican mm. Party, which represented it, was a minority party. And Northern and Southern Democrats, especially Southern Democrats with increased power by counting the full Negro population together with Western malcontents, could easily oust the Republicans. It was because of this thought that Northern industry made its great alliance with the abolition democracy. The consummation of this alliance came slowly and reluctantly, and after vain effort toward understanding with the South, which was unsuccessful until 1876. When Lincoln first laid down his general proclamation concerning Reconstruction, industry paid little attention to it. Let the South come back. Let it come back quickly, and let us go to work and make money and repair the losses of the war by increased business, and let the nation go far beyond this through domination of the American market and perhaps even the markets of the world. However, right here, the dreams of the industrialists were quickly shadowed by unwelcome reflections. In, in the harsh voices of certain leading citizens in the South who were about to return to Congress, there was something of that same arrogance that had cowed the North in the days gone by. What these voices said concerning Negroes, and indeed concerning slavery, was of little importance to industry. They don't care about black people. They're industry. What do they care? <laughs> oh. uh, but if they proposed to come back with increased political power, would this mean a drive for free trade? Would it mean a drive against the national banks? Would it mean an attempt to readjust the tax and immense profit made in the rise of national debt? Beyond this, could it be that the New South was set upon some move to make the whole country assume all or part of the Confederate debts and pay for emancipated slaves? Uh, 
Perhaps not, but this was something to watch. The state economic rights must be curbed. Southern opposition to finance and the tariff must be kept in bounds. Very soon, then, the party which represented sound money, that is the payment of interest on deprecated currency at the same rate as though it had been gold, and who wanted federal control of industry, began to see the necessity of consolidating their political power. Now, all of a sudden... Oh, sorry. Oh, no! Go ahead. I said, now all of a sudden you can start seeing, you know, the Republican Party really driving as the party of big industry and, and this, this free market re- regulation. And this is kind of the seed sown, not only the end of Reconstruction, as we can already see on page 213 of a 700-page book. What? Um, but it's the seed sown of the, the later party flip you'd see um, with uh, Strom. Is that his name? Strom Thurmond? Don't bring that motherfucker to back yeah. to my memory. <laughs> when, when he drove the flip of the parties. Um, because, you know, now all of a sudden, what do they care about black people? You know, it's not a consequence either way. But if these uppity black people might be liberating labor, might be wrestling power and wealth away from them. Ooh, that's a bit of a problem. Great. It's also great. It's also amazing because before communism was even a threat, I mean, this is 50 years before communism was, was even a threat. There's no mention of socialism or anything here. Just the idea of power of labor. And it's already been racialized. It's mm. already been driven like the biggest threat to their power, this industry that otherwise doesn't care. If black people want to liberate themselves, fine. If they don't, fine. What do they give a shit? They're here to take a profit, right? All of a sudden, this threat to the profit is, is racial. What if what if these black people want to liberate themselves and, and hold true power, hold true wealth? Don't let us exploit everyone for profits. Uh-oh. That's a problem. Uh-oh. And and that's something that, um, I mean, carries on, you know, and it's not to say that, like, the communists in this country haven't largely been, you know, black people, people of color, but it's something of it's a racialized threat. And that's, that's a big part of why anti-communism has worked so well in this country. And the seeds of it are laid right there. There's so many times in this book, we see current things where the seeds are laid right in front of our faces. And this is yet again, another point of that. Yep. This point of view of industry began to be expressed. Frankly, Brewer of Newport wrote, wrote Sumner in a selfish point of view, free suffrage to the blacks is desirable without their support. Southerners will certainly again, unite. And there is too much reason to fear successfully with the Democrats of the North and the long train of evils sure to follow their rule is fearful to contemplate a great reduction of the tariff doing away with its productive feature, perhaps free trade to culminate with repudiation. And how sweet and how complete will be the revenge of the former if they can ruin the North by free trade and repudiation. The most selfish argument was made by Elzer Wright of Boston in 1865. He said that it would take years of military subjugation to educate the white South out of its rebel propensities. Yes. So that the majority Mm -hmm. of it could be relied on for loyal state government. In the meantime, two things would happen first. And this is now in a quote first, the public debt would accumulate for a military occupation never pays as it goes. Second, the blacks are largely trained to arms, for they are the cheapest and best troops we can have under the circumstances. Hence, when we arrive at the period when local state governments that will go alone can be set up, the blacks must be enfranchised or they will be ready and willing to fight for a government of their own. And here's more war and more public debt and more taxation. 
If the southern states are brought back in too soon, the North would either have to pay the rebel debt or borrow the rebel theory and secede from the very union that had been restored by conquering the rebels. There's only one way to avoid this and to make our victory immediately fruitful. In two states, a decided majority of the population is black and by necessity loyal. In five others, the black element is more than one-third, and it is strong enough to make an effective balance of power in every state where the rebellious element is any is of any serious magnitude. Again, the particular chivalry which got up and engineered the rebellion has such an honor of sharing political power with its former chattels that when the enfranchisement of blacks is determined on the scenic Canaan of Reconstruction, it is own, its own military power is overthrown. It will emigrate to a more congenial political atmosphere. We have then nothing to do but convert whites enough to make a majority when added to the enfranchised blacks, to have state governments that can be trusted to stand alone. I think I could easily convince any man who does not allow his prejudices to stand in the way of his interest that it will probably make a difference of at least one one billion is that billion yeah there you go i hadn't counted the zeros yet thank you in the development of the national debt whether we reconstruct on the basis of loyal white and black votes or on white votes exclusively and that he can better afford to give the government at least one quarter of his estate and have it try the latter experiment now i'm noticing and this is a long quote we got to another one it's a very long quote it's only got one paragraph left that's good but i'm still gonna you're you're almost there still gonna put a pin in it right here um so i I got the right conclusion, I think, in the tying back to today, because, again, I think this is the, the progenerator of what I said. But I think it was the wrong idea of where they were going right now, because I think Du Bois was saying, well, industry was going for Reconstruction. And that's the only reason why it even started up first, because they could see that they didn't want to immediately turn it back to the Southern Democrats, have a big uh, loyal Northern Alliance, and then have the industries that were tied to the Republican Party destroyed. And again, now you're seeing another kind of seeds laid, but you can kind of see the corporate um, corruption in like, you know, famously in Grant's, uh, presidency and stuff kind of set up a little Teapot bit here dome. yeah um continuing the quote i am not disputing about taste a negro's ballot may be more vulgar than his bullet being already in for it the question with me is how the one or the other can be made to protect my property from taxation <laughs> wear it on your sleeve a little bit there buddy <laughs> and i'm sure i would rather give away half the little i have than to have the victories of 1865 thrown away as I am sure they will be, if endeavoring to keep the South in subjugation by black armies, the government allows four million of black population to continue to be disenfranchised. So he's basically saying, like, our only power in the South is militarily, because why? I mean, mm-hmm. we just fought a war against it. If we're going to be sure. military, militarily in power, we got to give black people being armed. If we're going to arm the black people to empower them and we tell them we're not listening to their vote, that seems like a problem, which, again, lit- which again re- reiterates why the idea of like left being anti-gun is kind of ridiculous, and and, and should be into infinity. This yeah. is this is everything of again. It, it, it you had this weird paternalistic instinct toward the the people you're trying to protect mm-hmm. without ever conferring with them and treating them like the equals they should be. And ask you what 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 do you want in this situation? Yeah, I mean the the the, the most coarse industrialists and, and the robber barons who are are like we only care about these people so we can pillage them for power so we can suck every ounce of life out of them just like the the slaveholders were wanting to do for our own profit 
look at it practically and go, well, we got to give them guns or we're fucked. We got to give them the right to yeah. vote or giving them guns means we're fucked. <sighs> Which brings us to thus industry between 1860 and 1870 was in control of the government, but was insecure. The Republican Party, which represented it, was a minority party. And the Northern and Southern Democrats had been able to unite with the disaffected. The Republicans would have been swept out of power, but the Republican Party united with abolition democracy and using the tremendous moral power and popularity, their appeal to freedom, democracy, and the uplift of mankind might buttress the threatened focuses Jesus fortress. of industry. Huh? The threatened fortress of new industry. Thank you. Good Lord. I, the, in my text, it is blurred and looks very well, That's bad. okay. I'll take over because I had, I had the small pages earlier and you read for like a whole episode. So let me grab this. Please. Baby. And finally, in extremity, votes for Negroes would save the day. Thus, a movement which began primarily and sincerely to abolish slavery and ensure the Negroes' rights became coupled with a struggle of capitalism to retain control of the government as against northern labor and southern and western agriculture. The union of these two points of view is seen in an Ohio pamphlet in the current. And, and starting the quote, what is to be done with six million rebels? What shall be done with four million blacks? One, loyal white men only shall vote. Two, loyal white men and rebels except certain classes shall vote. Three, loyal men, white and black, shall vote. Four, loyal men, white and black, and as many of the rebels as can be controlled by loyal voters should vote. <laughs> this is like a list of, of <laughs> options. Five, <laughs> educational standards. Apparently that's completely different. What than does that even mean? Six, segregations of whites and blacks, the blacks to be in one territory with full rights to vote. (laughs) Weird, weird, bizarro black nationalism expressed in segregation. Y'all go over there and get full rights to vote. There you go. You go to your black states. Nothing could go wrong. Oh, by the way, they're landlocked. Um, Um, Seven, rebel states to be held by military power until rebels have purged themselves. In the first plan, 1.2 million voters in the rebel states will have as much voting power as 2 million voters in the north. Under the second plan, before the rebellion, the south with 6 million whites boasted as much political power as 8.4 million of the north. And by this plan, 6 million would possess the power of 10 million of the north. By the third plan, one voter in the South would have more voting power than two voters in the North. Under the fourth plan, the uneducated blacks are almost the only friends of the government, while educated whites are all wrong. This illustrates the folly of an education standard. Under the sixth plan, the whites forced the mixing of the races of the country, and those men who have been raised on Negro milk, what the fuck does that mean? And some of them Mm -hmm. who have children by Negro mothers should not talk about separation. Oh, you can't do the segregation because there's, there's mixed kids. Okay. That makes sense. Slowly, slowly the rank and file of the nation began to respond to the combined argument of industrialist and abolitionist, especially as their seeming unity of purpose increased. A correspondent of New York tribune writes in 1865 from the South, the freed people are truly and unreservedly our friends, and they're almost the only ones. They're more intelligent as a class and more available as a trustworthy material for citizenship than they expected to find them. 
the poor whites whom I saw were decidedly inferior to the average of the slave population. If there is to be for the future a stable basis for their loyal states in the South, it must be made up largely of the freed people. It will not do at present to trust the ballot in the hands of the white men who have been rebels and still are such under the guise of union men. I believe this to be true whether the blacks be allowed to vote or not. There should be a long intermediate probationary state prescribed before they are again allowed to approach the ballot box. So a big part of this is not letting people who fought for the Confederacy vote, which – I can't – Yeah, I don't see how that's a problem. 100%. That makes sense. Um, The abolition democracy found in support – found support in the West. The German and Scandinavians who had settled in the Northwest were naturally democratic. Before the war, they stood against the Southern – pretensions and in their midst the republican party was born they disliked the aristocracy and they disliked the south because the south was against foreigners and immigration among the germans were many labor leaders and doctrinaires so as the northwest could be counted on for democracy you gotta again see the roots of the whole like corporate but for Mm. black rights supposedly and for immigrants party that the democrats pose as today um, we're getting to, we're getting to such a good point that I don't think you've gotten to yet, and I'm so excited. <laughs> but at the same time, it could be counted on for opposition to the new industrial organization with which northeastern abolitionists were making an alliance. However, the Union of Industrialists and Abolitionists became closer, and since it was unanswered by any move towards democracy in the South or by any sympathy for democracy by Johnson, the West followed the abolitionists until later they were seduced by the Kulak psych- what? the Kulak psychology of land ownership. Oh, we got him, baby. Okay. W.E.B. Du Bois. That Holodomor just... did not go far enough. <laughs> God damn. He is here and he is ready, ladies and gentlemen. God damn. Okay. So it, the West was all about abolition until they turned into dirty kulaks. Love you, Du Bois. All right. Yes. Um, In the displacement. Oh, well, you going? Oh, no. Yeah, I was going to do it. In the displacement of Southern feudal agriculture by Northern industry, where did the proletariat, the worker, stand? The proletariat is usually envisaged. Mm-hmm. Okay, as united, envisaged. envisaged as united, but the real interests were represented in America by four sets of people: the freed Negro, the Southern poor white, and the Northern skilled and common labor. Okay, I was what I saw the and, and I was like, that's three to boys, but that's four. Okay, <laughs> these groups never came to see their common interests kind of a problem in the united states yeah yeah a little bit <laughs> and the financiers and capitalists easily kept the upper hand again kind of a problem in the united states on the other hand the west and south bore peculiar relations to the new industry the south clung to the ideal of aristocracy and had no thought of the real democratic movement even the poor whites thought of emancipation as giving them a better chance to become rich planters, landowners, and employers of Negro labor, and never until the 20th century envisaged themselves as a labor class. The Western farmers, every every American's a temporarily <laughs> disaffected millionaire. There you go. The Western farmers, in the same way, facilitated between the ideal of speculative landholders and peasant farmers. They harked back to the opportunism of the frontier and wanted freedom to exploit as well as the vote. 
In New York, Negroes had replaced workers who were on strike, and the two parties fought on the docks of the Morgan Line. In Ohio, there were various outbreaks in Cincinnati and in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit, Buffalo, and Albany. Race riots occurred during the war, and we've seen some of the voices work on race riots and how honest it was about their brutality. And we've also kind of heard the whole like white racist union pushing out work until black people basically had to be scabs to survive. And then the also, white, we've seen white in racist our, unions pushing back on the black scabs in, in Haywood. In our, in our lives, mm-hmm. we've seen what, again, what, <laughs> This looks like it, it has evolved mm-hmm. and turned into things like Black Lives Matter and the Rodney King riots and and all sorts of different dynamics. But this and, and then you see the violent. Yeah. And then you see the violence pushed back from from right wingers um, who they, they like to play themselves. They're suburbans, but they like to play themselves as as the laborers, um, you know, their management or, you know, sometimes even the co-workers and stuff like we're defending the businesses. And and you see the stuff come to a head just the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Finish finish this paragraph because yeah. it's, it's relevant. OK. Um, in 1862, Negro longshoremen were assaulted and colored working men employed in a Brooklyn tobacco factory were mobbed in August. In July 1862, there were disturbances in New York City. And finally, in 1863, July 13, came the terrible draft riot. As Abraham Lincoln said, March 21st, 1864, none are so deeply interested to resist the present rebellion as the working people. Let them beware of the prejudice, working division, and hostility among themselves. The most notable feature of disturbance in your city last summer was the hanging of some working people by other working people. It should never be so. The strongest bond of human sympathy outside of the family relation should be one uniting all working people of all nations and tongues and kindreds. I think Lincoln might have been listening to Marx before that one. Uh, that And literally, that's why I said, I'm like, we're ending it on that <laughs> because for all the bullshit that anyone has ever given about Lincoln, that is the only Lincoln quote in human history that should be quoted as yes. like a universal maxim yes like that is the only time lincoln stood on the correct side of history with the correct logic and i (laughs) it's just so after after what what are we on 216 after 200 something pages of learning how this guy was absolutely nothing of what he was made out to be right about how he was just a complete fraud on mm-hmm. every level from what we we've come to learn to hear him say something that is literally as i, I mean outside of family your tightest bond is other working people and you're working people he is working as close people. to the working people of the world unite all you yes. have to, I as mean, any american is, president could ever be yes that is to say, white people shouldn't it. kill black people too. It's such a it's such a poignant message for this country. It is as I again. It's like the don't copy my homework so the teacher doesn't know. But he's still just straight copying marks. Like it is. It is a hundred percent the right. From everything we know, we know it's bullshit because we've seen a million other quotes where he is mm-hmm. a, a complete. But we know that particular quote is right. And we know he talked to Marx. He might have gotten that from Marx. <laughs> uh, he might have just straight plagiarized Marx yeah. right there. Yeah. Um, and, and so, it. but again, that is the strongest bond of human empathy outside of the family should be 
one uniting all working people of all nations and tongues and kindreds. I, I don't and know. That's in and response again, to white people should not kill black people. It's, it's just, so, it's it, amazing. And I was worried about it too. Cause like the quote is kind of, you know, Oh, you working people are doing this themselves a little bit, but it's, it's not that at all. It's, it's you guys are on the same side. Why are you fighting? And, and I'm going to dive again. We're, we're going to, we're going to do a quick teaser for next episode, but Again, this is the kind of stuff that Lincoln is espousing. Again, at the end of his life. Yeah. When he when Lincoln died a year later, Irish organizations refused to march with Negroes. And the Common Council of New York City refused to allow Negroes in the Lincoln funeral procession. But the New York Tribune announced that through the intervention of the police commissioner, a place in the procession had been assigned to the colored societies and other percentages and the police will see that they occupy it without hindrance from any quarter meantime so common council declined to revoke their order so again lincoln giving a very marxian a very egalitarian we all are united around a certain universal truth. And that is our relationship to the, you know, the means of production almost. Mm -hmm. I mean, without saying it, that's, that's really what that quote is talking about. Yeah. Lincoln can't say that too specifically. (laughs) No, because I don't believe Lincoln could understand any of that. (laughs) But that being said, to just watch how, how even, even then, even when the, when the guy was being, canonized in the moment his opinion was still thrust aside and (laughs) we're not marching with you Mm -hmm. um there's a long way Mm -hmm. there's a long way to go and there is a lot of work to be done Mm -hmm. most importantly by people on um in the working class people who need to seize power and a working class that is 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 not as overwhelmingly white as a lot of narratives try to push it to be. No, no it's not. It's very much, it's, it, it's, uh, what is it? I think it's technically somewhere like 50, 50, but it's, it's really, cause a lot of that is in its your relation to, to capital, which is what makes you work in class. And that's important. But white people also make up a lot of the air, the labor aristocracy. Most of the, the working class that's going to be faithful is going to be people of color. Yep. This being said, speaking of loyalty to the uh, labor, not Aristotle, this has been Mark's Madness. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so we're going to smooth that over, right? They know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, time, baby. There'll be no smoothing here. Welcome to the raw, unedited Mark's. This has been Mark's Madness spot. <laughs> um, if you would like to contact us, and let us know how you disagree with the thing that we have said this week. The uh, most direct way to do that is through email. Our email address is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, if you would like to retort to us in under, under 200, I don't remember how much it limits us to. Yeah, that many characters. Um, you can do it on the <laughs> timeline. We're at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. Um, if you want to get our DMs and yell at us there, we are still at Mark's Madness Pod on, on Twitter. DMs are open, though. We're here. Um, 
If you would like to get into a smaller chat room that we are a moderator of and and then tell us, hey, I don't like what you're or let's say you, you don't disagree with us. Let's say you just want to like hang out and talk about Hades, the video game, because it's super cool. Um, you can jump into the Discord. Uh, the Discord that we live in is Dumb and Awful's Discord, so it's in our bio up up top there on Twitter if you're there. Um, if you have any questions, you can email us, marksmanispod at gmail.com, and I will send you the link to it. But that's the other way to get into the Discord. And uh, and then we just hang out there. We're going to watch Lincoln. I promise we'll be watching Lincoln by the time you hear this, probably this week. Um, so if you're listening to this on Wednesday when it comes out, by this Saturday, we should be watching Lincoln together in Discord. Um, so please, if for no other reason than this, join Discord and watch Lincoln while Nathan yells at the screen whenever Tommy Lee Jones is on the television. Um, David, we did a, a disclaimer last week. Other than disclaimer, is there anything else you'd like to tell the people? Uh, no, I, I think the voice does a great job of speaking stuff out. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. And that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.